Hey Quilt Crew, I'm Brandy Mislowski, ex-firefighter turned quilt teacher, speaker and author of children's picture book, Christie's Quilt. I started out over 30 years ago not knowing a thing about quilting, and after many failed attempts and lessons learned, here I am following my passion with the business I have today. I created the Quilter on Fire podcast to surround myself with a community of quilters I love, and you, my friends, do not disappoint. One podcast episode at a time, I'll bring you more joy and less overwhelm in the quilting studio. Welcome to Episode 9 of the Quilter on Fire podcast with Varushka Zarati. I first heard of Varushka when my friend Kim Kasky invited her to speak virtually at the Edmonton and District Guild, and I bought a ticket. Varushka has only been quilting for a few years, but the lecture was really good. She was authentic, and her paper piecing looks like she's been quilting for 20 years. She's nailed the pattern design and the color palettes, and I can't wait to find out more about her quilt portraits honoring women. She also has her first book coming out called Empowerment, Quilts Honoring Women in Activism, with projects featuring Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the Supreme Court Justice, Frida Kahlo, the famous painter, Angela Davis, the political activist, and Jane Goodall, who of course is the visionary famous for her work with chimpanzees. Verushka has taken these iconic women and expressed them in art quilts. Verushka Zarati, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much, Brandy. It's a pleasure to be here with you. It's so nice to have you here. I always love to start by getting to know you a little. So how long have you been quilting and what got you started? Oh, I love that question. And, and I never tire of, of sharing it because I think everyone's journey to quilting starts from a very organic place. Um, for me, I don't have family or, you know, grandmothers or moms that were quilters. Uh, for me, it started with one day my husband approaching me and saying, what are you going to do with the mass of baby clothes you have from our two little boys? You know, I, and I started hoarding them really because I thought, <laughs> well, if I give these baby clothes away to somebody, to them, it's just clothes. But to me, you know, they're in, they're just uh, embedded with memory and love. And so <clears throat> that got me to thinking, well, I, I have to think of a, of a clever way to, to deal with these <laughs> mounting mounds of, of beautiful baby clothes. So I went online and saw different options and I was really um, taken with making baby quilts out of like memory quilts and, and mm -hmm. t-shirt quilts. Um, and I mentioned that to my husband and um my precious husband on my first Mother's Day with both of my boys gifted me this little, uh, <laughs> it was very sweet, uh, this, this uh, uh, sewing machine he had found on QVC, oh. <laughs> which because I had a newborn and you know, my, my boys are just 11 months apart. I had a, pretty much a newborn and a, a one-year-old. Yeah. I didn't even open the box until a year later and the, the, like, the electrical panel on it didn't work. Oh no. So, um, yeah, <laughs> so, but, but it was, we got it fixed. And then I said, well, you know, before I start cutting into these precious clothes, I, I need to know what I'm doing. So now I'm like, I don't know, 35, 40 quilts into it. And I still haven't cut, <laughs> cut into those clothes. They're the clothes precious. continue to mount up as they, as they grow bigger. I mean, I did make one for my husband one, one Christmas, but all that to say that I fell in love with it, Brandy. I felt like 
um, I took like fish to water. Now, like when I reflect a little bit and the more interviews I do, I mean, I, I had been introduced to quilts like when we were growing up in in a in a little town in Michigan, we a couple times went to Amish country and I saw some Amish quilts and I thought, oh, these blankets, right? These blankets are beautiful. I was introduced to what quilts were. Like I have these memories of being introduced to them and being impacted by the idea. And then I've always loved PBS. I mean, even even since I was like 10 years old, and I saw this one show about this quilter who made a, a portrait of a textile worker in India using clothes labels, oh, wow. like the entire quilt. Yeah. And, you know, I should have the name right off the top of my, my mind, but I'll forever remember that. And so all that to say that I think along my journey, I was, I, I remember being impacted by that's beautiful. Like that's special. And so when I, you know, when I was uh, inspired with the impetus of doing something meaningful to me with my, my children's clothes and I started, boy, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stop. So I, I gobbled up everything I could online, which has been very interesting as I've, I've gotten to know the quilting world that people have learned in many different ways, some through you know, family members, some through going to quilting uh, shops or magazines, and many people, especially after 2020 is online. Yeah. So that's, that's how I got it started quilting. Yeah, and you've only been quilting for about five years, which is astonishing, because for those of you on my email list, you've seen a few of her portraits in the Tuesday preview. But Vrushka, for, for such a short amount of time that you've been creating, you've really shown some talent with these portraits. What made you focus on intricate paper piecing? I, you know, I started learning through, and I, and I think that's, that's, that's the way to go in, in most things, right? You start with the basics. So I, I, I started with learning traditional piecing um, and loved it. I, 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 you know, which is, you know, you cut first, then you sew. Um, the importance of an accurate quarter inch seam, um, the importance of, of all the details of how to do construction well. And I, and I, I, I just, I gobbled up everything I could. And so yeah. um, after, man, a dozen or more quilts, I had this hankering to do something more. And um, I mean, I, I, I love, you know, uh, uh, square blocks and but but I I just I wanted something different and so we had this running joke in my house after I asked my husband for a long arm that <laughs> he yeah. would joke that he would say to me Bruce is there any other unicorn you want me to pop out <laughs> <laughs> so like this whole concept of unicorns became so I thought hey what what if I can make a unicorn quilt, right? And I'm like, well, do I do it with squares? Like, how would that work? And one day when I Googled um, unicorn quilt, this FPP unicorn quilt pattern came up. Yeah. And I thought, what is that? What's FPP? Well, boy, that just opened the amazing rabbit hole for me on 
gobbling up everything I could about foundation paper piecing. And at the time, you know, Brandy, there wasn't, um, this would be like a year and a half ago only. Um, there wasn't that much online on how to FPP. So like there were snippets, but I didn't know how it all went together. So early on, as I was, you know, buying patterns and learning FPP, just as I had learned um, traditional piecing, there was a lot of intimate moments with my seam ripper, um, a lot of frustration, a lot. I mean, (laughs) I was seam ripping a whole lot more than I would like to, to um, confess. So um, then I realized that FPP was was the avenue to be able to do things that were important to me. So like after a while, like the patterns that I was seeing out there, they were fun, but they're they, and they're beautiful. There's a lot of animals and a lot of uh, um, um, you know, like um, children's blocks or uh, there, there there's quite a bit out there. And so I realized, okay, this is a great avenue to, to, be, to begin exploring um, something that I can make on my own. Now, like mm-hmm. I had made a couple of patterns that were traditional piecing that I'm, that I'm trying, like a typewriter quilt that I'm actually trying to finish the pattern and release it because some people have demonstrated interest, which is actually now a mix of FPP and traditional piecing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought, you know, what do I love? Um, what, what, you know, when you're making a quilt, non-quilters have no idea the amount of number one money it takes mm-hmm. to buy fabric. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I saw this one meme that said, why buy something for $7 when you can make it for 92? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's definitely right. That's definitely quilt making. I mean, the amount of time and money that it takes to complete a quilt from start to finish when you're gifted a quilt you know you're really loved yeah and um so when I started thinking about okay I only have a certain amount of time at the end of the day at that time my children were very little and so required a lot of me what do I want to spend my time really making and that's when the idea for well what's what are some of the subjects that I love and how can I incorporate that with quilting? Yeah. And um, that's where the idea to move in the direction that I did came from. That's a really good segue since you're speaking of love because you have a couple of young boys. So how do you balance your work and life and family with quilting? (sighs) Not very well. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard. Uh, You know, I, you know, I'd love to say that my day is time managed and in the mornings from seven to 12, I do this. Look, I think, I think life is very fluid. I mean, we have a general schedule. Um, now that my boys are a little bigger, they're five and six turning six and seven. Um, after COVID not being able to go out, I'm not as rigid as I was before, like early bedtime, early morning. So we go to bed a little later. We wake up a little later. Um, We have some slow mornings. I break up our homeschooling a little bit in the morning, a little bit in the afternoon. Um, I, and in between, I, 
I sneak away, you know, so they have, they have moments of, of media time in the evening mm-hmm. uh, where they can choose between, you know, an iPad or, or watching some, some things on TV and, and they have an hour to do that. And so actually my quilting studio, I, we rearranged our home so that my quilting studio is right next to their uh, homeschool room and, and media room sort of. So there's a sofa and a TV and all of their, all of their desks. And we did that because, um, because these are, these are both things that I, I have committed myself to engaging in. And so they'll be, they'll be doing some schoolwork after I've, you know, introduced and, and I can slip away for 15, 20 minutes and do a couple of seams. So I I do at times um, have to remind myself that balance is important. So I, I try to be as intentional as possible during the day to not sneak away to my studio. Um, but there are definitely times during the day when I can, when they're entertained or swimming. So finding that balance between them feeling like I'm available to them, which I am at any moment, they'll come in and like, mommy, can we, and yeah, and I'll, and I'll uh, escape and, and do that with them. But at nighttime, I do a lot of quilting. That's yeah. probably, that's probably when I do it the most. They're in bed. Um, I pop out, you know, an audio book and I sew for two or three hours. Now, when I was writing the book, that was different because I had a timeline. So yeah you know, I was, I was quilting through the night and then my <laughs> husband would watch them in the morning because it was, it was impossible to like spend hours here uninterrupted with my two little boys. Yeah, so absolutely. yeah, I think, I think every person needs to find their own balance. You know, when you are, I, when you're able to identify what's important to you, what, where do you want to spend your time? Because the truth is there's no such thing as full-time mom and full-time uh, work. Yeah. You can only be somewhere once. I mean, I can't be in two places at once. So realizing that I need to, you know, balance that is, I think is a dance. And sometimes I'm good at it and sometimes I'm not, but I'm, I'm constantly kind of checking in with my family, especially now that this quilting is ramping up where before it was just, you know, for fun. Now yeah. it's actually gaining some traction. And so, Yeah. So let's dive into the portraits. I'm just dying to hear about this. So can you tell us a little bit about the techniques you use? I know that it's, it looks so intricate. So how do you get started with the design? I I would imagine it's on the computer. Uh, No, it's actually not on the computer. Um, The first thing I do is, so what what got me doing portraits to begin with was um, I'm actually, my professionally, I'm a, I'm a therapist. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a counseling marriage and family therapist. And a lot of my work was with women and girls and different developmental stages, different things uh, that would affect them. And so we would often talk about people that inspire us. Oh. <clears throat> and so when I started thinking about what kind of time I wanted to spend with, I wanted to spend time on things that inspired me. And so that's where the idea of, well, who has inspired me in my life? And all throughout my life, I've, I've collected images and books and I listen to podcasts of all sorts of these, of all sorts of incredible women um, that have overcome immense obstacle, opposition, difficulty to thrive and to make an impact in this world. And so I actually begin with um, an assortment of images. Now, now that I have experienced some image sources work better than others just because of the drafting. And so I would basically in the very early stages, 
I would print out black and white pictures and just draw lines, just draw lines to see if it it was even possible. And so I'll often do that now. I'll pull images, I'll turn them into black and white so I'm not distracted by color. You see more of the lines pop out at you. And that's where I start. And then once I have some bearing, then I move to computer, illustrator, EQA for fabric. I mean, a, a combination of, of, of programs. But even now that I've drafted, so I've drafted many portraits, but but between drafting a portrait and executing and sewing it are two different worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Having the time to finish one is is quite the task. So yeah, I start with a very organic place and I and I move from there into digital and then I, I go back to organic. Um, I mean, once I even finish a pattern, I'll blow it up to the to the size that I'm wanting to see if it looks right, to see if it feels right. And I'll take a, a, a yard ruler like this and I'll start slicing lines again. So there's definitely drafts that I go through. Um, and even when I think I've finished a pattern, once I start sewing it, I'm like, oh man, I should have drawn this line differently. Um, so, Well, and I think the average quilter might think this is pretty technical. Just looking at these amazing portraits, they're going to think, mm. oh, well, I don't know if I can do that. But you have a new workshop in the works. So tell us about that. How are you going to make it accessible to everyone? I, I began to realize that there was a lot of misconception and fear around foundation paper piecing, even yeah. around quilters that have quilted 20, 30 years that I would like bow down to hear their tips and tricks. <laughs> I was I was amazed to hear uh, reservation when it came to foundation paper piecing. And even even now people are will tell me, oh my goodness, that's a lot of a lot of little itty bitty bits. And then I realized, oh, they they don't have an understanding of what foundation paper piecing is. And I thought, you know, maybe this is my opportunity to give back. And so what I did, Brandy, was um, I made the complete guide to learning foundation paper piecing quilting from start to finish. Oh, great. <laughs> and so I did a I did a pattern, and it's up on my Etsy page, where um, someone can download the pattern. And basically walk, I walk through them with these free videos on how to learn the technique. And, you know, some people have asked me, why don't you charge for this? Or why don't you? And and the reality is, I feel like I have been given so much from people that put themselves and what they've learned online that I, I, it was my way of giving back. And if I can make, if I could help even just a little bit, people to diminish people's fears of foundation paper piecing and have them try it. And I Mm -hmm. thought, you know, that's a win-win for everyone. So yeah, I guess you could say it's a workshop um, where, I mean, I, through those, these 12 videos, I, I, I don't hold anything back as far as my technique or how I, how I, how I organized from fabric to my stuff. I mean, that is in my book in a very detailed format, but that's not proprietary. Like yeah. how to foundation paper piece isn't proprietary. Yeah, and so I felt yeah. like there's this great cosmic joke in the universe that the more you give, the more you get. Absolutely. And if I have learned some tricks or tips that have made FPP easier for me, which like I was saying in the very beginning, it was really frustrating. And then when I finally figured certain little tips out, I'm like, oh, well, that was super easy. Like what? Like, 
couldn't someone have helped me out instead of a mom, you know, breastfeeding, helping one child, trying to figure out the sewing. Um, (laughs) So yeah, that, that was important for me to do that. And, and, you know, in a way it's self-serving too, because, you know, if I can get someone to feel confident in foundation paper piece, then maybe they won't be as intimidated by, you know, whatever patterns I produce. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know what? And Um, quilters are going to gravitate towards someone who's doing amazing work like you're doing, and they're giving away stuff for free to let us get to know you and trust you. And then eventually when you come out with a book or you come out with products, I'll be ready to buy. So that's a great way to do it. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the portraits. Which one did you create first? And when did you start to find you're getting noticed about these portraits? Oh, that's a great question. The very first portrait I designed was Audrey Hepburn. Um, Oh, I just, I love everything about her. I love her personal story of overcoming, uh, you know, being a part of the resistance um, in the Netherlands. And then, you know, she overcoming starvation and being basically saved by the UN and their efforts to save children. And then her coming to, I mean, her whole story is like magical. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, she was one of the first um, movie stars before it was popular to, this is my baby. Hello. How are you? (laughs) She was one of the first movie stars to, to really put in the forefront humanitarian work before mm-hmm. it was popular. I'd hate to say that because the more, the better, but yeah. she really risked, risked in doing that. And so Audrey Hepburn, I knew I wanted to do her first and I love breakfast at Tiffany's. I mean, some things about the movie are very problematic, but I love her. Um, and so she was the first that I drafted. And I have to say, you know, after I finished her, I'm like, Oh, I have a lot to learn because <laughs> One of the things that is that I'm being challenged now is how do you take into account soul lines mm-hmm. into the design? Yeah. Like they're not just how do I put this? They're not just like a uh, well, you need to put the soul line to piece together these two pieces of fabric. No, the challenge for me is how do I make this soul line a part of the jaw? Yeah, like it's an intentional placement. I mean, you could you can draft the same idea, uh, give it to five different people and they will draft it five different ways yeah and they will all work differently so I started with Audrey I learned a bunch um and then after Audrey I did Martin Luther King who is another hero of mine and that's that's the piece that got where people started noticing and and that was really exciting for me and actually that Martin Luther King portrait was I think the, the 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 defining moment of what my style would be yeah. in moving forward. So like with Audrey Hepburn, I tried to do uh, fabric wise. I tried to do as natural as possible, so creams and tans and 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 that kind of thing. And we can talk about that later about fabric use. But I found that really really cumbersome and problematic because the eye, when you use natural tones, your eye naturally I don't know why looks for deficiencies like Mm. oh that's not the right tan Mm -hmm. or but when you use abstract colors to represent things it's like I felt like my eye was more forgiving so like if I for example in Audrey I use dark tans for shadows light tans for lighter uh, portions of the face with MLK I went a completely different way I said you know what 
let's try something different. So I used blues and purples for the shadows and then yellows and whites and pinks. And number one, I felt it was more visually appealing. And number two, um, it was more fun, I felt. Because then I was looking for representation of, of a part of the face versus how do I match this skin tone exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think my Martin Luther King portrait is what, is what kind of got me. Uh, and it was a commissioned piece by a local um, uh, medical university here where I live for their uh, community center. So I think there was also this impetus in me and how do I make this visually different and appealing mm-hmm. and universal. And then there was also this, this, um, this idea of, you know, MLK was all about bringing light to darkness. And so the, the, the piece reflects that where there's very much the highlight of his face mm-hmm. is very much light and the darkness of his face is very much darker tones. And so I, I wanted that, that message to yeah. also come across it's really incredible. It, it's actually astonishing to look at the fabrics that you use, but how do you choose those subjects? It sounds like sometimes you get uh, someone asking you to make it, but why are the figures so important to you? Like, do you, have you had a dozen people you wanted to do, or do you just um, decide? How do you figure it out? For me personally, um, I am I am a, a child of immigrant uh, parents to this country. Um, I have a Russian name. Um, so I'm, I'm very much um, someone who throughout my growing up years, messages of moving forward, messages of empowerment, messages of excelling, of moving forward were, were constantly being um, repeated in my childhood. And so throughout my life, you know, there were there were women that would stand out to me. Um, Frida was definitely the first. I mean, she, she, um, everything about her, everything about her is something that I respect and admire from her um, willingness to stand up to the oppression of indigenous peoples in the South of Mexico, her outright rebellion and wearing fashion that was deemed at the time unfashionable and actually um, repudiated by growing society because it was the clothes of indigenous people. So it wasn't the, you know, the cool hip thing to wear, you know, her art, she actually wanted to go into medical school, um, but being a woman at the time and having, having um, the accident that almost ended her life, um, you know, she used all of her, all everything about her in her paintings. So that's why you Mm -hmm. see so many skulls and things that weren't very feminine. I mean, you don't have women in the, you know, in the twenties, thirties, forties that are, that are drawing skeletons. I mean, that's not the very, so everything about her was like this empowered, I am who I am. And I am fearlessly going to put that out into the world just inspired me. And and so she, I think it started there. And then as a little girl, I would, I would, I would read more on, on women who, who use their voice for, for good. Uh, RBG is, has always been a hero of mine. Her, her fervent um, advocacy for um, equal rights, uh, women's rights, reproductive rights, gender rights have, have been monumental. Um, 
Angela Davis, who was a controversial you know, figure in 1968 and who at times butted heads with MLK. But I, but I, I found her message to really be one that made people think. And, and you know, I was, I was listening to her do a podcast at a university recently, and she says, you know, the number one thing is I'm, I'm grateful I'm still alive. Yeah. Because you know, oftentimes, you know, people that, that uh, speak light into darkness, their lives are taken away. Yeah. And then Jane Goodall. Oh my God. I, uh. oh, the, when I heard about Jane Goodall, I think I was about 12 or 13. Yeah. I thought how extraordinary, you know, this woman, like, you know, going out into the wilderness. And at the time she had no master. She was a nobody. She was the secretary yeah. of, of the person in England. And she went and I mean, how remarkable. And she goes to study, she, she was forefront in helping humanity realize that we are not the only the only reasoning thinking creatures in this planet and then to go from that to being a conservationist man it's just it's just inspiring and so quilting was just my little way of kind of channeling these women into my life really during a year that was very very difficult and I and I think I started these portraits out of out of personal therapy, really wanting to find inspiration in a very dark time during 2020. I I have some very sick family members, um, the financial crisis here in the United States. I mean, a a lot hit home really quick. Yeah. And so this was my way of trying to kind of refocus myself, like how each one of these women have overcome incredible adversities, sickness, oppression, and they made it, they made an impact in the world. And so, and then I realized, well, this is, this is something that's universal. This, not only the medium. Oh, I'm ready to go to the park. <laughs> oh, what a cutie. Hello, buddy. Say hello, friend. Hi. Hi. Okay. These are, this is my, this is my pride and joy. Sorry. This sorry. is my big boy. Sorry, sorry. Hi, boys. Or really sorry for interrupting. Oh, thank you, my love. <laughs> How cute. Well, I wanted to say that I can imagine a world where we're traveling again, and I can imagine a world where you're having your first show and all these beautiful portraits are on display for everyone to see. So I'm looking forward to that one day. I can't wait. Um, And so I want to talk a little bit about the research you do and sort of the copyright stuff, because I'm curious about using the likeness of real people. How do you get around that copyright? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, I've, I've been consulting a lot with a childhood friend of mine who um, I've known since the fifth grade, who's an intellectual property lawyer. Okay. Um, and so it's very interesting. So there's been a lot of education that's happened on my end about how there's a difference. Well, it's really sad news, actually. Public figures don't own their image, yeah. which is which is a very interesting concept for me. So a lot of it has to be um, choosing images that you can do derivative work from yeah. and, and making my pieces as different and distinct as possible. So like there have been um, some images and I haven't even used them, but I, I seek permission and they say, well, if you're not actually using the image, you're free to do derivative work. So, um, and then there's some images that have passed uh, a time frame of copyright. And so they enter into public domain. Yeah. And so some of that is very clear. Some of it is messy. That's why I think I haven't released the MLK yet. Cause I, I haven't gotten a clear answer on that. If you're using a picture that you're using derivative work, but your work is 
distinctly and separately different. Um, like the Oprah one, for example, if I turn it into a pattern, I've reached out to them. The lines between inspiration and product are very different when it comes to public figure. I like to try to be as squeaky clean as possible. Yeah. It's very different, however, than, for example, one of the things that I want to do or have on the line to do is to do a quilt pattern of the Statue of Dignity in Montana, which is a Native American woman holding a quilt, and I've already drafted it. That's very different because that there you're 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 specifically drawing from someone's cre- creative expression. I mean, right. that is his sculpture, right? Yeah. So there, I I went and I asked for permission, and and he finally contacted me back and said yes, and I'd love to see your what you do. Oh, so yeah, great. I think there's a lot that has to go into that, and then and then um, finding the right image of inspiration yeah. uh, is the hard thing because um, I've learned a lot. Or, or for example, there was one family member who wanted me to do a portrait and she sent over a picture that wouldn't work. So I've learned some things about what images work, lend themselves to being, becoming a quilt and what don't. And some people were like, really? Like the worst picture to, to draft is one that's head on face is not symmetrical. And when you actually produce a piece, your eye wants symmetry and that just doesn't exist in a face. So yeah, some tips and tricks I've had to find along the way. So which one was the most difficult to make and which one is your favorite to this day? <laughs> which is my, of the portraits you're talking about, yeah. right? Because definitely in my most difficult quilt was the very first one that I made. I mean, RBG was difficult because she has glasses. Right. So there was more detail, like there was smaller pieces that I had to make. The challenge for me, Brandy, when I'm drafting is how I challenge myself to make as large a single unit as possible. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to more detail, you have smaller units because you just, you're working with straight lines, right? Right. So RBG was challenging in that she had glasses and and how do I present curves without having too many little pieces to to join together? Um, So RBG was challenging. Frida's crown of flowers was challenging to draft only because I kept, I kept wanting to make the pieces as big as possible instead of smaller. So it's not that it's hard. It's that I'm challenging myself to make the units as because the larger a single unit, the easier it is to sew together. So do your boys have a favorite or your husband, do they have a favorite portrait that you've done? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. My husband, my, after I made the MLK, he says, um, don't give it to them. I'll pay you the, the commission uh-huh. price. <laughs> that's pretty sweet. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's very sweet. He's like, it's, well, he is so sweet. He's like, you're worth so much more. And I think there's been a lot in that where, what's your value for yeah. what you create? So his is definitely MLK. My little boys are very cute because as I've made each piece that asked me, mommy, who is that? And so it's been very interesting for me to teach them about, these people. And uh, so they can name, oh, mommy, that's Angela Davis. And she does this. And this is uh, RBG. And she was women's rights, Supreme Court justice. Actually, I'm very, I feel very proud because my boys can name all four, well, now five Supreme, female Supreme Court justices. So that makes me very proud. So my little boys, um, I don't think they have a favorite. Um, They just call it all mommy's pride and joy quilting, but they know that pride and joy is them. So that's pretty sweet. (laughs) 
Now we're going to take a short break for a note from our fabric sponsor, and we'll come back and talk about the fabric you use. So here's a word from our sponsor. Northcott Fabrics are famous to quilters for their Stonehenge and O Canada collections. Right here on the podcast, we'll be giving away fabric from Northcott Collections, Banyan Batiks, and Figo Fabrics. Look for all of these at your local quilt shop. And announcing Patrick Lowe's Fabrics, a new division for Northcott in 2021. You'll see new fabrics in quilt stores starting this spring. And wait until you see his Christmas Magic Collection coming out in July. Northcott, cottons that feel like silk. And since we're on the topic of fabric, Verushka, you use a very specific type of fabric in your work. Tell us all about that. Yeah, so um, I love solids. Uh, I, you know, there's so much detail in the portrait that I felt that uh, prints could kind of detract from that. But in, in all truth, you know, like I was mentioning before, there's some artists that see a print and are able to see, you know, the foot of a rhino. My mind doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. <laughs> so I felt like solids was a, a very kind of uh, um, simple, clear way to communicate what I was wanting to communicate. And it, it was also an issue of pricing. You know, it's a lot cheaper to get, you know, a yard of solids versus, you know, a, a variety of, of prints. Um, and I was also trying to think of, you know, what was a way that I could create uniform between these four very different women? So, I mean, they vary in, like I was saying, they vary in time and in voice and in uh, passion, but there's this, there's this common thread between them, this power between them. And so I felt that having one palette throughout all of these would create that nuance. Um, however, in each one, I highlight a different magnifying glass on a color. So like, for example, RBG, the royal purple, right? Like the, 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 the loyally garbs. So I chose the purple to accent. In, in Frida, I chose aqua. In um, Angela Davis, I did this light pink. Um, and in Jane Goodall, I did a, a navy blue. And and there are different reasons why I chose that. But so even though the, the, the solids are the same, there's only about 15 or 20 that I use in all of my uh, portraits. In, in using different values for each, you create enough distinction, but yeah. still a uniformity, which is something that I liked. Um, and it's easier to kit. So like yeah. um, a quilt shop, you know, can kit 15 solids versus having to order specific fabrics. I mean, I don't know if I'll do prints in the future. Um, there are some people that are so creative with fabric. Um, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to see, you know, people that use prints for these patterns, these portraits. Um, but yeah, it was an issue of price, making it accessible to people, um, using colors that I love. So it's a palette that I love. So when you create a body of work and you have a dozen or more pieces, they're all going to be amazing in a gallery somewhere because they all have this unified mm -hmm. feeling, right? So I think that's oh, incredible. You. You're on a good thank path you. there. So do thank any you. of these famous people know that you've done portraits of them? I know you have asked permission here and there, but have you ever been approached by anyone? I haven't. I mean, I would be tickled if that happened. I would be tickled, but no, not yet. This is just from a place of being a fangirl to each of these incredible people. 
Um, like there's one that I'm working on, um, which is Dolly Parton, which I'm obsessed with. Oh. Um, yeah, I, I love Dolly Parton. So like, I would be tickled if she knew I was making a cult of her. I mean, I, I do it out of inspiration for what they've, what they've done in our world and we'll see what happens <laughs> well you are gonna have to listen to my podcast on march 30th write that date down because i'm okay. having a quilter on my show who made her daughter her little two-year-old a coat of many colors because she's so oh. in, infatuated with dolly parton so I, oh I, nice <laughs> so cute i saw it on facebook and i thought i have to have her on my show right away oh super well, you'll have to listen to that but now let's talk a little bit about your first book coming out at the end of january what's the title of the book and what's it all about so the title uh, it's being published by cnt publishing um and the title of the book is empowerment quilts honoring women in activism um, it's, they, we're actually starting a series of books called Iconic Foundation Paper Piecing. Mm -hmm. So the hope is to be able to do a combination of books where a quilter can say, you know, um, I want to make a, a quilt with, because each of these measure 40 by 40. So you can make each of these individually, or you can make a complete quilt that would measure about roughly 80 by 80 without borders, right? But I thought, you know, quilters have, you know, there are certain people that inspire you more than others. And, and that's the amazing thing about the subject that aside from the medium, which is quilting, everyone has different connections or attachments to these figures. And some are uh, from a place of much more love and some based on political positionings uh, don't as much, which is fine. But at the end of the day, what I'm aiming to do is to uh, create subjects for quilters that inspire and empower. And so the, the idea is to create a series of portrait books where you can get four women out of any of these books and make your own unique uh, quilt. So it's called Empowerment and um, they're looking, so it was supposed to be out Christmas, but with COVID it got pushed back. They're looking for a date at the end of January for shipping. Uh, so this, this is a first for me. <laughs> like, so how did CNT find out about you? How did the book come about? Did you pitch it somewhere or did they find you? Yeah. So I, I pitched it to only two public, well, it came from a place of I was getting so much uh, response from people that I, uh, of people wanting to produce it themselves, right? So like there are two camps. One is, wow, I love it. And the other is, I, I, I would love to make this. And I thought, you know, at the end of the day, what it's about is, is empowerment. And so maybe I can make a book of patterns that quilters can make themselves. So I said to my husband one day, I was like, honey, what if I make a book? And I love his response. He was like, go for it. <laughs> it wasn't like, well, what would you do? He's like, do it. <laughs> and so I, when I pitched the book, I actually only had RBG halfway done. I didn't even have the, I mean, I had drafted them, yeah. um, but I hadn't sewn them up. And so I only pitched to two publishing houses um, Martingale and CNT and Martingale actually was really cool. They said, we love the idea. It's very specific. 
please, we, they, they said, we'd hate to send you to our competition, but we would love to see this get published. Please check out CNT. And I had already sent something to CNT. So I thought that was really cool. And then the acquisitions editor called me and said, let's, let's do this. Now it was unbeknownst to me was when you get accepted, it typically takes a year to publish a book. They, which I feel honored, they told me that they had, they fast tracked this particular book so quickly that they've never done it before. So we actually got published within three and a half, four months. I mean, we're talking about text to images. So I did all of the photography. I did all of the digital work, um, all the illustrations. Um, They put it together. And so it was, it was quite a whirlwind of three, actually like two months, <laughs> two and a half months. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. Well, and it's so timely right now because of the whole Black Lives Matter movement and these iconic women. It's it's a it's kind of like a feeling of strength in this difficult time for people. So it's a really nice thing to see coming out. So I could see why they wanted to push it forward and have something really positive coming out during this 2020 year. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm really interested in uh, what it's like to create a book from scratch for the first time if you didn't have any experience doing this. So how did you know what you were supposed to do? Did they hold your hand along the way and help you out? Or I hadn't written a book before. Um, so <laughs> what I did was I, I grabbed like the 10 or 15 quilting books that I have and said, okay, what do I need? Oh, I need a table of contents. Oh, I need an introduction. So Um, I had to do a lot of homework on structuring of a book Um, and then and then thinking about what do I want to communicate so at first I thought well let's just talk about the process the art and then I thought well you know how can I make this as as complete as possible so then I went through the process of okay what are the tools? What are the organization? What is the fabric I use and then so it's broken up into three parts really first is tools and organization which with foundation paper piecing unlike traditional piecing it takes a lot of organizing well no traditional piecing takes a lot of organizing too it's just a different way of doing it but so we talk about organization and then we talk about technique and then we talk about the patterns and so I knew I wanted to do that and I actually when I actually worked really hard to try to produce um, what I thought the book should flow like and then them as the pros they then took it and did work their magic to make it look complete and professional so you know I'll say this and I think that's the same in many things whether it was when I started foundation paper piecing design or or this book you know when you have something in your mind and you don't know how to achieve it but you have a passion for it Mm-hmm. It's important for me that can drive you to learn and, and I'm still learning and I, I still make tons of mistakes with my own stuff. And, and I think there's a lot to be, that's what I try to challenge myself with. Um, we have this saying in, with my boys in our homeschool group where I, I can't do that yet. So they'll be like, no, mommy, I can't do that. Yeah. You can't do that yet. And so I, I didn't know how to write a book. I didn't know how to do that yet. And so I, I, I really tried to find as much information, um, talk to as many people as I could. What am I missing? 
what what does a, a blank you know, clear eyes, because your eyes and your mind get cloudy, you know, what are fresh eyes seeing? Um, so I think the process of making a book versus the process of learning to design quilts versus the process of finding your voice is all the same. Mm-hmm. When, when, you, when you have found that thing that inspires you, how do you move forward? How do you learn? I don't know how to do that yet. How do you get there? So I didn't come from a place of knowing, I came from a place of, of, wanting and wanting to work hard to achieve it Um, and being open to criticism and and uh words of wisdom from people that do Mm -hmm. yeah i love that strong part of the quilting community out there that just believes there's room for everyone and everyone can grow i just love that so I know there are quilters listening right now who are thinking to themselves, I need to see all these portraits and where can we find your book? So where can we find the portraits to look at them online and where can we find your book if we want to buy it? Well, thank you so much. If you are that quilter, I, I'm just tickled that I have your interest and that uh, you're willing to give me your time. I think my main social social media um, has been incredible for me in helping explode really what I'm doing quilting wise um I think the main platform for me definitely is Instagram okay so Instagram is where I pride into quilting Instagram um it's where I post constant you know updates on what I'm working on and ideas and and things um I do have a website it's definitely in the earlier stages I also have an Etsy page with some basic patterns that people can download and kind of get a feel for how I do patterns. Um, and that's pride and joy quilting as well. My Audrey Hepburn is there I actually um, because I wanted before the book came out to, for those really interested to be able to get some bearings on how I put together designs. And so I redrafted um, Audrey Hepburn and I redrafted Misty Copeland, who's an uh, African-American ballerina in the American Ballet. Um, and I put those up so that if there were like quilters that were really, really interested in making the type of quilts that I made, they would have some samples up there. And then uh, prideandjoyquilting.com. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. So before we start to wrap things up, I know you want to go to the park with your boys. I have a little something special I like to do with all my guests. It's a series of five rapid fire questions called the lightning round robin. Are you game for it? Yeah, 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 sure. Okay, so first question is, who is a quilter that you would love to meet one day? Oh my goodness. Um, I would love to meet Kimberly Jolly. Because she taught me how to quilt, basically. Um, yeah, I think that'd be a really cool kind of full circle. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good. And what is on your design wall right now? Uh, on my design wall right now is the Queen Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. So I've been I've been working on her, um, her her amazing hair. Um, yeah, so she's uh, she's on my design wall. Yep. Would it be so exciting if she discovers you and wants to come take a look? <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> okay, so who has been an inspiration to you most recently? Quilting-wise? Yeah. Um, you know who I really like? Um, Mary, Mary Fawns, her daughter. I think her, her daughter is Mary Fawns, right? Marianne Fonz is the mom and the daughter's Mary Fonz. Yeah. yeah, I think she is just so charming 
and knowledgeable and down to earth. And like, I know she's not doing like quilting designs and stuff, but man, I, I, I think she's incredible. I think Tula Pink is beyond talented. I mean, she's just, I mean, how does her brain, she's just too much. You know what I mean? From fabric to drawings to, she's just, she's a whiz. She's top. So I'm really inspired by those two in particular. Yeah. For different reasons. Okay. So what color do you choose most when creating? Oh, that's a good question. I would say, can I choose two? I would say navy blue. Because I, I like, um, like, instead of using black, which I think most people expect, I enjoy using sort of a gradient of the color. So I love using navy blue or like a, a, a royal, like dark navy blue instead of black. So I, I use navy blue for all of my dark features. And then I love a coral color. Mm. um to represent shading in the face so I'd say I I have to use and purple so I'm going to do a little recap here so we've already mentioned your website prideandjoyquilting.com and Mm -hmm. we know that you use Instagram most so that's also Mm -hmm. prideandjoyquilting on Instagram so -hmm. now I'm just going to take a minute to share the podcast giveaway for this week this week's prize is three Figo fabrics by Northcott fat quarters. Now, if you're on my mailing list, you already have the link to enter the giveaway. You can also go to Quilter on Fire on YouTube and find the trailer for episode nine and the link is in the description. It's so easy to find because you will see episode nine and it'll have a photo of Varushka. And I also blasted all of her social media. So if you're following Quilter on Fire, you'll find it there. So as we wrap up today, Varushka, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation? I would want to tell quilters, um, don't be afraid to try a new skill because you might be really pleasantly surprised. Um, once you get over the hurdle of trying something new, you, you might love it and it might open up uh, a door for you that you never expected. And, and that can be in quilting, in art, if you have that little idea that's tickling at the back of your brain, that that is just a spark. You know, it's it doesn't have a voice yet. You, you really can't make it out, but it's there. Begin to feed it. Um, move forward. You know, never did I imagine. Never. I mean, I did my MLK last summer in July. Never did I imagine I'd be here six months later. I mean. I don't even know the quilting business world. And, and, and so all that to say, I'm challenging myself constantly to not be afraid, especially in light of where our society is going. You know, there, there is so much fear. Um, and my constant challenge to myself is don't be afraid, move forward. Um, let go of the things that oppress you, that, that critical voice that says, nah, I'm not good enough, or I'm not as good, or, um, you know, that, that comparing voice that we, we often have. But, but to move forward, listen to your gut, find your voice. And, and, you know, there's no age limit for that. You can be 15, you can be 75. Um, I, I think there's great power in being able to to move forward from fear, try that something new, you might be pleasantly surprised. 
Yeah, that's such a good message. When you stretch your mind, you actually feel really proud of yourself. You make a change. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's happening all the time in art and in quilting, right? When you try a new pattern that you've never done before. I mean, from a micro micro level to a macro level, you know, um, trying a new skill, developing a new skill with an art form you already know. Um, sometimes, you know, when you've been doing something for 30 years, try something a little different. Um, and take someone, I, I would add, Brandy, mm-hmm. um, take someone under your wing who, you know, someone who's just maybe a step under where, wherever it is that you are in your life, take someone under your your wing because it could make the world of a difference exponentially for them as they begin to move forward. And there's definitely this sense of like hoardingness for success, for attention, for, I don't know, that happens. And and I, and I, I would challenge us to number one, to learn something new, step out in fear. And number two, take someone under your wing who's maybe not where you are, but a little behind, who could really help, be helped with what you have to offer. Yeah. Um, that's what I would say. Such a great message. It, you know, because everyone wants to find that great mentor, but it's such a good idea to be a mentor as well. I love that. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Well, it has been so nice to hear your story, Varushka. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you. What an honor. Thank you, Brandy. Oh, it's been so much fun. Well, that was my interview with quilt artist Varushka Zarati. On the top corner of her new book, it says Iconic Paper Piecing. And that's really what it is because she has chosen these female figures in society that have really made a difference in the world. So you must go to her Instagram page at Pride and Joy Quilting to check out the photos. I really enjoyed learning how she's taken her passion for women in activism and explored that in fabric. These portraits really have shock value because you recognize the figure instantly. The eyes and the ears are just amazing. The pieces are so tiny, you can't even imagine how hard it was to design and paper piece them together. Now, don't forget, I love to hear from you. Follow me on Facebook and Insta and send me a message anytime. I really want to create a community here where we can all be inspired to live our quilting lives to the max. Now, go enter the prize giveaway for your chance to win some beautiful fabrics by Northcott. And please share this podcast. The greatest compliment you can give me is an introduction to your friends. Thank you so much for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.